I'm Kirk Hamilton. I'm Maddie Myers. And I'm Jason Dreyer. And this week, this month, we are getting into the chicanery of Better Call Saul. <laughs> I just want to tell you all, I'm actually in black and white right now. What? But all of my memories of watching Better Call Saul are in color. Just wanted to make sure that Great. that was vividly Perfect. described for listeners. Kirk is in black and white. I'm wearing mm-hmm. a garish suit. And Maddie is still a, a I'm smoking. I'm outside smoking, right, yes. leaning against the wall. Yes. Right. I was going to say you're still in the mailroom. You're still uh, struggling. <laughs> oh, struggling. Come you're on. living in the back of a nail Maybe salon. So maybe so, but I'm on my smoke break at the very least. I've grown a mustache yeah. that can only be described as sad. Oh. <laughs> Welcome yeah. to the Better Call Saul <laughs> Beans cast. We will today, yeah. starting right now, be spoiling the hell out of all of Better Call Saul and probably Breaking Bad too. So if you have not watched it and you are interested in it, stay away now. Put this pause stay the away. episode. Pause the episode. Come back right. later once Run you finish all of Better Call Saul. Go and watch a, like a hundred episodes of television, and then come back here. Yeah, well, actually, but Better Call Saul has sixty three, and Breaking Bad has sixty two. So combine, oh, okay. so easy, combine really. One hundred twenty five episodes. Breaking Bad's an entire forty five minutes shorter. So what's your um, excuse? But today That's we'll true. mostly be talking about Better Call Saul, which just ended. Uh, first of all, before we even get started, big thank you to anyone who's listening, because if you're listening, that means you are a Max Fund member, and we appreciate thank you, you for helping us make this show. We do. Unless you're pirating it. this episode, in which case. You always uh, say that. I don't think yeah, anyone's like doing that. You like to include the pirates. Uh, you never, know. You here's, never know. Here's my take. Can I give you a real take on this? Yeah, please. I think please. that if someone was a member and they supported us, and then they couldn't become a member anymore, and they Mm-mm. still are getting the feed, that's okay I think that's with fine. Me. And I, I know Max okay. Fun changes every so often, but you should keep listening and it's fine. Oh, no, no, no. That's not what I'm talking about. I, I heard that like there's people like share the passwords ah, with like illicitly. Sure. That's I what see. I'm talking about. I see. No, I'm totally in, in support of people like if you can't afford to support us anymore, please. But you like, already have the feed. Exactly. Yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's get into the ethics of that. Yeah, let's like, get what into would, what that's would what... Jimmy say? <laughs> what would Jimmy say? What would Kim say? Um, well, Saul Goodman once uh, redirected, like embezzled money by putting it through a charity fund for Walt Jr.'s. Uh, uh, right, right. Yeah. Or no, or was it? Yeah, Walt Jr. made a fake website for his dad. And that like, was wild. <laughs> and then, um, like, changed all of the pieces of information on the, like, home application or the business application so that yeah i mean the other thing that jimmy did that i mean the cell phone store i know i'm just jumping around i don't know what order we're going in but the cell phone store was probably like the most tragic plot line where i feel like i really got to know jimmy the best as a person we'll get into that we'll get into that okay i have Um, a lot of thoughts on the cell phone store it does feel appropriate that we would jump around through time i know right very time traveling show getting in our time machine and uh Figuring out. I just want to talk yes. about the cell phone store, but we can do we can well, do. Well, talking about a show that very much traveled through time for its entire duration, right? It uh-huh. began with a huge time jump. It yes. did. So, Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul, a show created by Vince Gilligan and Peter Gold, is a spinoff of Breaking Bad, also created by Vince Gilligan. Vince Gilligan. Um, Better Call Saul started airing in February eighth, two thousand fifteen. I remember because I watched it the night it aired. I, I remember I watched every episode live as it aired. <laughs> and you looked at the calendar on the wall and you said, "It's February eighth. I'll did, remember yes. this day forever." <laughs> I did. I did. No, I remember that first moment. Well, I'll get into that in a second. Um, it ended August 15th, <laughs> a.k.a. last week from when we were recording this. So, like, it is really wow. fresh in our memories. Yep. The ending just happened. Mm-hmm. Um, it has become... Uh, it was around the third season or so that people started 
wondering, debating whether Better Call Saul could be better or on par with Breaking Bad, which is widely considered one of the great shows, one of the Pantheon shows in television history. By now, I think many, many people would say that Better Call Saul has surpassed it and is a better show in many, many ways. Um, it is really just an incredible piece of art um, about one man, a man named Saul Goodman, who was a minor character in Breaking Bad, um, and his transformation from Jimmy McGill, uh, kind of a hapless uh, lawyer with a sleazy past, uh, into Saul Goodman, which is like the straight-up huckster slimeball. Um, fascinating show, super, super interesting for all sorts of reasons that we'll get into. But before we even start dissecting the show and kind of bringing up specifics, um, I guess we should all talk about our overall impressions. So Maddie, why don't you get us started? Because you actually re you watched the whole show for the first time just this year. So give us your overall thoughts on the show. Better call Saul. I thought it was great. I loved the show and I have never seen Breaking Bad and I never will. (laughs) The shock and horror of many, including my own parents, I will never watch Breaking Bad. I tried to watch it. I think Walter White is a selfish man that I don't want to spend any more time with. Mm -hmm. (laughs) However, Bob Odenkirk as Jimmy, who I really just called Jimmy because I see that as his true self. It's hard for me to imagine him as Saul or Gene. No, I agree. Uh, I think that Jimmy is, and Kim to a lesser extent, she's sort of the secondary uh, protagonist of the show, but he is such a fascinating character that that carries the show for me. It's hard to spend a lot of time with a character who's making that many bad decisions and immoral decisions when you're also kind of rooting for them. But Better Call Saul really navigates that tightrope well. And that makes the show work for me i like shows about lawyers and crimes and cons and pulling off amazing heists or jobs and all of those things are part of better call saul and that's wonderful and then it on top of that it has just a lot of really great actors so yeah those are all the reasons why i like it and um yeah i recommend it i recommend it to anyone kirk yeah, I loved this show. I thought it was really good. And I also watched Breaking Bad and was found that show extremely impressive, at times pretty pretty bleak and kind of hard to watch since it is a more kind of nihilistic show with a much less likable protagonist, but on a fantastic show with some of the most amazing looking, amazingly put together sequences I've ever seen um, on television. And I think, I mean, it's funny that It's so natural to compare the two shows and talk about which is stronger and which isn't, but they're so in conversation with one another, and Better Call Saul is such a creative response to Breaking Bad that I just don't really compare them because they feel like it's not like you have to see both of them to understand them, but it is really interesting to just look at how different they are despite having some similarities, like some broader thematic similarities. Like... I think the stakes are different in a way, like you mentioned, Maddie, that really lends itself to a gray area a little bit more easily than Breaking Bad. Where on Breaking Bad, in season two of Breaking Bad, Walt like crosses a moral Rubicon and leads to this like unforgivable death that then literally brings death and destruction down from the sky. And it's like the whole theme of the season is that he is fully gone bad. And you can't root for him after that. I mean, not that you necessarily could before. He was like selling meth to people and stuff. But you really just can't. And by the end, he's just a full-on villain. He's like a, a loathsome person. Where Jimmy lives in this middle ground for much longer, for pretty much the whole run of the show. So that allows them to create a character character in Jimmy who 
is just has a essentially opposite arc of Walt. Like by the end, he actually his ending is the opposite of Walt's ending. Rather than like getting what he wants and winning, he gives up the thing that he, you know, that this persona he built and this ability to win consciously in order to make this like different decision according to different moral values. And also the secondary protagonist of both shows, uh, Jesse Pinkman and Kim Wexler are also like really different and also in conversation in interesting ways that then becomes textual in those final <laughs> Literal episodes. Conversation. Like, the most yeah. exciting scene for me is when <laughs> Jesse and Kim are talking. I was like, holy shit, I can't believe this is happening. So like that was really cool too. So in the end, I just, I feel like it's, I've never seen anything like this before where a show that, you know, started, I mean, when did Breaking Bad start? It was like 2008, 2008, yeah, 2008. Yep. 2008. So it's been so many years that, that they've been building this thing. And I think it's just an amazing achievement in storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. So I think the point where they're in most conversation is like, um, and really what, what kind of distinguishes the two shows is the climax of season one or like one of the most dramatic twists in season one is when Walter White chokes out a guy who he's been torturing in the basement of this house, right? Right, um, right. This question of like, can he, he like kill this to, guy? He has yeah. to kill him. Yeah. And and it's justified, but or it, it's justified in his mind because he like finds out that he's going to be stabbed by him. But anyway, that's that's like the climactic point. The climactic point of Better Call Saul season one is when Jimmy finds out that his brother did not want him to be a lawyer, which I think I think that kind of tension point. Like it's right. in one show you have this highfalutin action, like high octane action, uh crazy stakes where people are killing each other, things are blowing up constantly. In this other show you have this character drama where like you could where where um the the high point, like the most emotional climax, is not some crazy explosion or shootout or murder. It is a brother kind of emotionally betraying the other brother. And I think right. that really there's, speaks to the difference between the two shows. There's yeah. also, I think, something that was really interesting in the final episodes that's related to that and sort of on that same tangent is the way that Better Call Saul escalated and became more intense. And, I mean, people did get killed. There were explosions. There's some really wild action sequences. But... Crucially, Jimmy was always kind of, it's more of a noir. Like, he was always just sort of there, and they were happening around him. And then toward the end, there are these two scenes in, I think it's the final episode. It's where he breaks into the guy's house, um, the you know, just super foolishly, almost like he's trying to get caught. Yeah, that's and he considers, he considers yeah. braining the guy yeah. with, you know, with these the ashes urn. to escape. Yeah. And you're watching him being like, Jimmy, this is truly awful what you're doing. And I was like kind of yelling in horror at my TV, like, do not do this. And then he gets off the hook because the guy falls asleep and he can leave. And then when he's talking to, um, what's her name, the woman Marian. who he's kind of, to Marion, who he's taken into his confidence. Carol and she Burnett. busts him and she's going to call... Uh, call the cops. Yes, Carol Burnett, an incredible performance. When she's going to call the cops and he takes the phone cord for a second and he's holding it in this kind of garrotty way looking yeah. at her. And you're thinking like, Jimmy, are you, you are not going to kill this defenseless woman. And then of course he doesn't and he runs and like he can't do it. So it's like even at the end, at the most elevated period, like Jimmy still is not Walt. Like he's not going to violently like physically kill someone, even though he has caused quite a bit of harm. Mm-hmm. Right. He always has that humanity inside of him, whereas yes. Walt is not. It is an interesting companion show. I think one of the reasons it is so. So I, I didn't get my overall impressions, but minor that it's one of my favorite shows ever. Maybe like my number two ranked greatest show behind The Sopranos. Um, 
I like still I've been watching that last episode, that last courtroom scene <laughs> over and over again. Like what every a day. scene, holy shit. Week. Oh my god. Um one of the reasons for me that it's been so emotionally resonant is because we've known this character for so long and just knowing I mean, first of all, when you're attached to when you're watching someone and attached to a piece of media for 13 years, you're going to like have some emotional um, kind of commitment to that person. But also it's like knowing that the entire time, like suddenly realizing after watching this most recent set, uh, season of Better Call Saul that the entire time you're watching Saul Goodman, he has all this buried trauma and Kim behind him and like the love story and all of that stuff, all the stuff we've seen in Better Call Saul. It's just like it makes it all that more impactful, even though the creator Creators had no idea when they wrote Saul Goodman that any of this is going to be a thing. Right. It just is like so strong. But it was all part of Bob Odenkirk's personal journey it's, behind the character, actually. Well, it, <laughs> it just makes it it makes it all the more so, just all the more tragic and epic. I think my, my feelings on Better Call Saul are kind of summed up by a couple of things. One is there's an episode at the beginning of season three when it spends a solid 20 minutes just focusing on Mike Ehrmantraut, one of the main characters, um, finding a bug in his car. <laughs> and just like meticulously taking it apart and scraping yeah. it and like looking yeah. at and like it, the camera and like the cinematography is beautiful, but it's really just a long scene of him just looking for a bug in his car. And in some ways it's boring and you're like, why am I watching this? Like, this is, <laughs> this is like, what am I doing here? On the other hand, like in, in other ways, it's brilliant because it's like, this is a show about meticulousness and it's a show about craft. And that's also a show made with the utmost craft, with the utmost meticulousness to the point where like every single show shot is so perfectly framed every single piece of cinematography is given so much thought every single framing every single just like um like positioning of characters that you're just like you can't help but be odd that this is a show that is going to spend 20 minutes about this character who is so meticulous in his work just like the show is just like everything else in this world is that he is going to dismantle his car for 20 minutes uh looking for bucks yeah, it's the show is really a place where people who really love filmmaking and love, you know, being creative with a camera can go and make things happen. There's another oh. scene I, that that reminded me of is when uh, Mike is setting up the whole ambush thing where he's going to shoot. What is it? It's like he shoots something to fall down onto a drug smuggling truck so that it gets stopped at customs. Right. So that he's, yeah, and he puts yep. the shoes the over shoes, the line. Yeah, right. and he shoes. Keeps, yep, yep, yep. You keep watching him like trying so to get this, it. So it's this, right, uh-huh, it's this uh-huh. long wordless sequence where it's just in framing and acting and seeing like his act, his wordless acting, which, you know, I mean, um, good Lord, Jonathan Banks is like one of the great <laughs> yeah. silent actors, one of the great oh sighs. His, he has yeah. like the most powerful sigh ever. But you're watching this thing be set up in its community communicating so much and it reminds me actually a little bit of the the scene in the wire i think it's in season i think it's in season one actually where they're the, the they just say scene. fuck yeah. it's a uh, bunk and mcnulty and they're uh-huh. going through the scene it's of course a very famous scene but again it's all this storytelling is happening just with the way the camera moves with body language with people pointing at something and the camera showing it and you realize this whole murder is reconstructed for you uh-huh. and i mean it's it's just a show where these same directors come back, Michelle McLaren, Mimi Letter, of course, Vince Gillian is an amazing director. Peter Gold directed that finale is amazing. There's people who keep coming back because they're given the freedom to make things as amazing looking as this show so consistently was. It's such mm-hmm. a good show about Rube Goldberg machines and <laughs> setting up these like mm-hmm. carefully plotted. Yeah. Cra- like, to I the mean, point that's where the other piece of it is that it's not just cons, that it's yeah. good to watch. It's that each plot is like a music box that you get to mm-hmm. just watch play out and be like... Uh-huh. 
oh my god what that's the next thing that's going to happen here and yeah. it it does the billions thing where yeah. a character yeah. knows something all along that you the audience didn't know mm-hmm. and then it's finally revealed and it's the char- and it's all a con just, it's so satisfying yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, i could yeah, just yeah. watch that forever it turns out <laughs> yeah well and then okay but all of that is combined with these incredible emotional stakes i mean first of all knowing so what i was hinting at at the very beginning is like when i first watched the show live Having watched Breaking Bad, I didn't watch Breaking Bad live. I actually caught up on it all just like shortly after it ended. So um, I binged Breaking Bad, loved it, uh, caught up, and then knew uh, Better Call Saul was coming, watched the first episode live. The first two minutes of that show, first five minutes of that show, are set in the far future of Gene, like you see Gene for the first time. And it's like, holy shit, like this is, what kind of show is this going to be? I thought this was a prequel. It's not a prequel. It is just, it's just textually not a prequel. It's just a Cinnabon ad that you're forced to watch. the straight up cinema yeah. and Ma- Maddie for someone like you I'm sure that opening was just like meaningless but like for someone who's watched Breaking Bad it was weird for sure honestly I was like I yeah. don't know if I am gonna like this show <laughs> but for someone who's watched Breaking Bad it's like holy crap and then it's never revisited again until like the beginning of the next season and the beginning of the following season but like mm-hmm. it was it was mind blowing to see that and to be like wow this is where this is where we're headed really interesting stuff well there's that I think that framing contributes to something that makes this show stand apart from other shows that are about well-laid plans because the satisfaction of watching a well-laid plan work out and the heist trope that you're talking about, Maddie, where there's the prestige where it's like, yeah. ah, like it's like every episode of leverage, right? The cell phone uh, was in your front breast pocket the whole time. Yeah. Yes. Well, in every, in every episode of leverage, it's the same structure where they plan the heist, you see the plan, they go in to do the heist, then something goes wrong, everything looks like it's falling apart, and then they reveal the extra layer of their plan that they didn't show you right. that actually gets them out of it. And that's yep. like standard. So that's leverage, but the big difference is that Better Call Saul is a tragedy, and it's a really profound tragedy. And the reason for that is in that framing, in that they show you that this all ends badly. You just don't know how. So you can mm-hmm. take pleasure in the momentary, like, episode-to-episode episode bits of, like, someone pulling off an amazing heist or whatever or a scam, but you know it's going to go bad. And then that's combined also with the fact that a lot of the scams that they pull off lead to devastating consequences. I mean, Jimmy scams Chuck, and it's, like, this really satisfying, great plan. And then it has these heartbreaking, you know, ultimate, like, it's a horrible thing that he's doing, and it has this really heartbreaking conclusion so it's it's kind of a mix of both of those things and it's really potent yeah mm-hmm. sh- so chicanery i think is certainly my favorite episode definitely considered among the top of those episodes and that of course is the episode where um jimmy uh plants the cell phone has who will plant the cell phone battery in chuck's pocket and mm-hmm. kind of forces him to melt down in front of his ex-wife and in front of this like this jury of his peers in front of uh, during jimmy's uh, uh hearing like for whether he can remain a lawyer um um, and it's all done in the service of, and this is what's really tragic, Jimmy having to prove that Chuck hates him and has been like, and that this is, right. that's what this is all based on. And mm-hmm. it's just so tragic and well-performed. And that that iconic speech that Michael McKeon as Chuck McGill gives at the end of that episode about like, what a sick joke, like this this chicanery um, yeah. is just like mm-hmm. so heartbreaking and beautiful and amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's also used, there's a lot of the creative process on display in this show. Like you mentioned how when they created better, when they created Saul Goodman, they had no real idea that this could happen. Nope. And I think that's so cool. In this day and age, it's so common to, 
hear creators referred to as having a huge plan and they knew from the beginning and you can right. see all the hints and then you have like I don't know I'm still listening to the Shrieking Shack the oh, Harry Potter God, podcast yes. and there's a lot Great of podcast. instances of yeah. of J.K. Rowling sort of implying that she had this all planned out right. rather than just acknowledging, just acknowledging clearly like, I don't know I had yeah, some yeah, ideas no, and then up. I made up the rest I was writing some stories yeah. and I made shit up as I went and it's fine um, and in this case you can really see that happening but they're so good at it that it works out like there's a really organic quality because like We've seen that tragic scam play out so many times, and we know to anticipate the ending of it because of, like, chicanery is probably, like, the or example of that, that when it's happening later with Howard, you know that's going to go bad. The yeah. show is heading toward an end. You know this is going to be bad. I even knew, I predicted what was going to happen to Howard. I was like, Howard is definitely going to get killed either by Gus or by Lalo, and, um, of course, that's what happened, but... It was so, I mean, it had that feel of a tragedy where you know what's going to happen, but that doesn't make it any less impactful. It actually like makes it more you know, profound as you're experiencing it because it's that feeling of dread of being unable to stop this horrible thing from happening. And then mm-hmm. so you combine that with the tragedy of Kim Wexler. And so, Maddie, you might not have realized this, but like what Breaking Bad fans know is that Kim Wexler is nowhere to be seen in Breaking Bad. So oh, I did know for, that. I did okay. know that. You and I was that. worried okay. she was going to die. So for years, that's show. what people worried. It was like, is she going to die are they gonna break up like what's is she gonna go to jail for the record i never thought she was gonna die. yeah i never, never thought she was gonna die it. either but still like well i hope she wouldn't but i didn't because know. of the way so she was originally i mean talk about like like turning plans around she was originally according to vince Gillian and peter gold gold um she was she was not a key part of the story she was just another character and then they saw the chemistry between bob odenkirk and reese seahorn who plays kim who was like possibly the best actress working today definitely the most underrated she's incredible she's gonna win an emmy for sure for this for this season she better i mean she's been so she's been so like robbed in previous years but anyway her and bob odenkirk have this incredible chemistry and so they decided oh this is the backbone of our show and it really becomes it's like such their relationship is so fascinating because you're so rooting for them even as you're watching them corrupt each other and like make each other worse the entire time but like because they have that undeniable chemistry and like uh just work so well together and scam so well together and they're just so fun to watch together you just want them to just live on forever it's really incredible like i've never seen any any other piece of media do this usually when there's some sort of like epic like star-crossed lovers lovers who were not meant to be together it's like that they're just outside forces that are causing this relationship to not work. It's not that you're watching a relationship that is simultaneously unhealthy and also so incredibly captivating that you can't help but watch it. I think it's just something about it. It's just like unlike anything I've seen. Yeah. It's also part of why the tragedy works so well in every aspect of the show because it's not just like, oh, they're pulling off this incredible scheme, but you know that in the end, something else bad will happen oh, yeah. to them you know it's Kim also and Saul like are not together Saul Goodman does not have Kim Wexler you know well, you that. know that but then also you know that Jimmy will always give into the temptation of wanting to do another scheme and Kim ends up sort of aiding and abetting that later on because she has her own fall from grace but also like the reason why I mentioned the cell phone store is because to me that's like the example of how Jimmy can never live a normal life because he's just too mm-hmm. much of an adrenaline junk and that is his downfall like he can't have a normal job he will always see some other game Mm -hmm. on top of the game 
because he needs to entertain himself somehow or else he's completely miserable. I mean, the Cinnabon heist too, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like he can't not. Like that, the gene part of it is just so much sadder because it's like, Mm -hmm. well, clearly he's just really giving into that addiction to adrenaline that he just, he can't, he can't resist the siren call. Right. But the cell phone store is also a doom spiral moment where it's like, to Kim, he's telling her, like, oh, it's fine. I've just got a super normal job at a cell phone store. And, like, she can tell there's something wrong. But, like, he's not willing to tell her what he's really doing. And then he's, like, pulling off these absurd schemes. But then as he's selling all the phones and it's, like, really working, at least I know I was, like, rooting for him. I was like, this is great. Like, he's finally getting all mm-hmm. these clients. And then when he's a lawyer again, it's going to be perfect. And it's like, what is this man doing with his life? Like, what is going on right now? Like, it's yeah. just spiraling further and further. I actually disagree with your characterization of him as an adrenaline junkie. I think it's more that he's just driven by these tra- these tragic events that he refuses to confront or face. Like, he has this is a show where, like, if Jimmy went to therapy, it would all be it would be a completely different show. Right. Like, he's dealing with like he could finally deal with needing his brother's approval and never getting it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, he's dealing with the, finding out at the beginning at the end of season one like this is season one is fascinating because he like finds himself succumbing to temptation and then doing the right thing like he takes the Kettleman's bribe money but then gives it back um, Mm -hmm. in order to do the right thing and like ultimately get them to take the plea deal and go back with Kim but at the end of season one he learns that his brother has betrayed him all along and that is just the first like like kind of giant crack in his emotional armor um, that he just refuses to confront or face and then things just escalate after that when he discovers that his brother is like like taping him like he sabotages he does the sabotage thing yep. and then season three really when his his brother essentially commits suicide as because of him mm-hmm. that's what leads into the cell phone thing and i think that is part of like what drives him is him just like yeah r- like not refusing to confront his emotions and just like putting on this persona of this con artist and embracing the persona of the con artist in order to not in order to escape from that and you see mm-hmm. that even more in season six and with kim and and like how kim's breakup leads straight up to him being Saul to the mm-hmm. point where he like is can't even talk to her and he's like have a nice life Kim like yeah. it's just him just putting on this emotional guard I mm-hmm. think that's what drives him and and even in season six when he's when Gene is slipping out of the Gene persona that's also because of Kim because of the Kim the phone call with Kim that just drives him to be like like chasing more uh, money and heists and all the other Saul Goodman aspects of his personality that he just put up to protect himself from acknowledging problems in his life and like really having some self-reflection I think they're all related, though, because I would say that Kim Mm -hmm. has a similar adrenaline seeking behavior where and I think this is a a good thing. Like, I feel like people can use those aspects of their personality to be a really great lawyer, for example, or be really good at like a fast paced job where sometimes you need small bursts of adrenaline to get a lot of work done quickly. Like there's ways to be an adrenaline junkie in like a safe way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or like playing a lot of video games, which is like healthy and good. Um, But like, you know what I'm saying? And then there's ways to uh, give into that, that rush, that, that sensation of, of being in power and having, having everything in your control and having everything set up. Like that's what Jimmy's always seeking in like a negative self-harming way. And that's because he's just constantly, some piece of him is mourning what he never could have had with his family and with Chuck specifically. Yeah. I think Kim is a really interesting foil 
for Jimmy oh, yeah. and for this show in general. And I mean, their relationship also, the spark of their relationship is often depicted as being central, like centralized around scamming and around pulling the stuff. Like often their sexual relationship is depicted as like mm-hmm. they're getting down after they do a scam. Like it's yep. like that makes them That's how they get together in to the first another. place at the yeah. beginning of season two. Like right. it's their first scam together. Yeah. Right. Yep. Is that they do a scam. So it's like the basis of that part of their relationship, like the sparking sexual chemistry mm-hmm. part is tied to that. So like that's always sort of related with them and it's always intertwined. And I think, man, I think Kim is such a good character because she is she was sort of small at first and then developed and because she wasn't the protagonist she's a much more inscru- inscrutable character. We don't have a sense of her backstory the way that we do with Kim, or with Jimmy. We just spend all this time talking about Jimmy and like his childhood and his right. brother and all this stuff that we learn these things that are revealed to us over the course of these many seasons we spent with him and we do have an understanding. I mean Jason you have like a really good understanding of him as a character. You're like laying it out. Kim is so much more inscrutable. She's hard to understand and I actually think that's a really cool thing about her because we're just left with Reese Horn's incredible performance and our own imaginations. Like they do just enough to give us this sense of what she's like, of the conflict, you know, within her, of her attraction to Jimmy and to being, you know, the sort of counterpart for his scams. But also she's clearly a like much more morally upright person than he is. She's, you know, we see her, we see her at her best when she's, you know, quit the firm and she's doing, she's a public defender. She's just doing pro bono work. She's not even a public defender. She's just helping the public defenders doing pro bono work. And like, she's this amazing lawyer. She's so prepared. She's so together. And yet we can't ever fully understand what it is in her, like what it was in her childhood, you know, which is only Mm -hmm. barely kind of hinted at that drove her to be so attracted to Jimmy, to come back to this lifestyle even though she eventually leaves him and leaves it behind to go be a very boring person in Florida. <laughs> there are hints. There's a flashback. Um, right, but only this hints. season? Yeah, there's there was hints. this season with this her season, mom. This season, there's a flashback with her mom where her right. mom it's scams a scammer. with her. Yeah, as yeah, a scammer with her with But the it's necklace. like, that stuff is just but there to kind of give us a little I, yeah. bit more about yep. her. It's yeah, not yeah, nowhere yeah. near the same level. And I think that's great. And it really, you know, it, it opens the door to something else I think we should talk about, um, which is the acting on this show. I mean... This is one of the most like impressive shows in terms of the full roster of actors on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just over and over and over again. The performances do so much work. I can't believe how good every single cast member is, starting with Ray Seahorn. The scene, there's a really cool interview she did. I think it was at Vulture. I'll find it and I'll link it in the show notes um, about the scene where she breaks down in the second to last episode oh when she's God. on the airport the, the shuttle. Best and it's this performance ever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable thing. It's this, this, you know, whatever, three and a half minute unbroken shot of her just having a complete emotional breakdown in the middle of all these strangers on a bus. And it's just this like riveting, extremely gutting scene. And she talks a lot about her process. And it's it's a fascinating interview in general because she has her own interpretation. Ray Seahorn, this is, has her own interpretation of like Kim's journey, what Kim is thinking, what happens to Kim afterward. She thinks, interestingly, that that was not the last time that Jimmy and Kim see one another. She thinks that they're going to see each other again and that they're going to have a whole that was like, relationship while he's in yeah, that I'd, final I'd be moment shocked too. if they didn't see Yeah, But it's yeah. fun because she very much frames it as her interpretation and she's like, you know, I asked Vince and he said, yeah, say whatever you want. I don't care. Like, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. like he doesn't have a set Show's thing over. either. Like, 
I don't care. Right. We don't have a sequel plan for this. You can say whatever you want. And everyone can interpret it their own way, which is Uh true of so much of the show. Anyway, she talks about shooting that scene. And it's really cool. Just the amount of preparation she did, the way that she got herself into the mindset to be able to cry like that because she knew it was going to be really hard. She knew... You know, it was going to be a really long shot that she was going to have to maintain. And it was, she's like, I couldn't just go in and then try to think of something sad that happened to me in my real life. I had to do it through Kim. So I like pictured what Kim would be feeling in this moment and how overwhelmed she would be by the totality of her actions and this and that. And she sort of lists all of the things. And so she did it as Kim. And then as it turns out, I think they did two takes. She was ready to do like... 30 takes of it because normally they do a million takes they did two takes everyone else was was like (laughs) he was like we got it he's like you you're good and she's like really and he said yes that's it. We've got it. And that was what they used. It was That's like the amazing. first or second. Time. Wow. So I, w- I want to talk a little bit about the the cartel aspect and the Mike aspect and all the oh, other yeah. parts of the show. Oh, okay. about. But first of all, I just want to make a point, which is that um, I read this fascinating interview with Vince Gilligan in The New Yorker. And he talks about how auteur theory is bullshit. And he like gives all this heaping credit to all the cast and crew and such mm-hmm. and talks about how like like um, he doesn't he. Uh, to your point, Kirk, about him letting Kim, just, letting Ray, Ray, just, Ray just say what she wanted, um, he talks about how like he doesn't want, he wants people to come away with this with their own interpretations. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't want to offer interpretations. But anyway, I think that like one thing that's really special about this show is that every single time I've listened to a lot of like behind the scene podcasts and read a lot of interviews about people talking about it and the amount of gushing that everybody does towards the crew and the cast and Vince and Peter and everybody just makes it seem like it was like one of the most healthy workplaces in in cinema um part of that i think is because they all have to go to new mexico and they have this bonding experience but like <laughs> like bob odenkirk like rented out a house where he and re and patrick fabiano plays howard hamlin they all live together um vince gilligan just seems like this like the sweetest guy in the world with like the southern drawl and like everybody just says nothing but positive things to say about him um you listen to the better call Saul podcast which i did for a bunch of years and it, it gets kind of saccharine to the like like it's, it's kind <laughs> of like, kind right, of like right, all right, right. right enough about how amazing everybody is but like That's it funny. really seems like a place where people just built each other up and i think that that for me is super inspirational and so it's very much like wow this is like a piece of art that was created through this very healthy atmosphere of people supporting each other and building off each other rather than like a single person's vision that he mm-hmm. and it's always a he has to see like unfolded mm-hmm. in his his own specific way and so on and, and so on. And he just so happens to have to bully every actor yeah, in order yeah. to get it right. to be what he wants. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And you hear so many of those stories, especially in the gaming world. Yeah. Um, and it's just like it's really kind of heartwarming and inspiring. And I hope is a good takeaway for a lot of people that like great in fact, amazing art can be made in a healthy, collaborative, like environment where people right. actually and and don't, I'm sure it was like long hours and hard work, but like mm-hmm. it it was a place where people seemed to have a lot of respect for each other and be right. super nice to each other. And they seemed to just attract incredible talent. I mean, these yes. directors we were talking about, these actors we were talking about that it. I'm sure they have a great casting director as well, but it can't be an accident that so many sensational actors came and turned up and then put in such amazing work. I mean, yep. Michael, we haven't talked about Michael Mando. Incredible. But Michael Mando, it, like, I had no idea that guy was that good of an actor. Like, I knew he was good. I enjoyed <laughs> him in Far Cry. I liked him in Orphan Black. Voss, yeah, Voss from Far Cry 3 suddenly turns <laughs> He's good out. in Orphan Black, too. Yes. He's just, he's got a great face. He's a good actor. But holy shit, his final few scenes oh my were God. like, I mean, they were, they were 
were award-worthy stuff. And that's everyone on the show. Michael McKean, incredible. Giancarlo Esposito, of course, incredible. Tony Dalton, like one of the greatest villain oh performances God. I've oh ever seen. Like, Freaking It just terrifying. keeps going and going. Holy going. shit. And he's only in there for like a season and a half. That's what's really crazy. And yet, every single time you see him, your heart rate is elevated yeah. because you're like, something yeah. horrible is going to happen. Right. My His oh my smile God. is like burned onto my brain. And of course, he died laughing. Ah, oh, God, so Lala. <laughs> so one part of the show that I think has been a little little more controversial is the, the gang aspects, the cartel aspects of it. And those are mostly infused by, uh, mostly told through Mike Ehrmantraut, who was the other mm-hmm. kind of central, one of the other central characters of the show. At, least, at the beginning, the idea was for it to be the Saul and Mike show. And I think it kind of branched out from there. But Mike is another fascinating character. I mean, Jonathan Banks like is another just, all of these actors, I mean, it's one of those things where it's just too bad there aren't There's no Emmys for everybody. Link. He's like the great still actor to me. There are so few actors that can do what he can do by just standing still and making and just looking at someone. He's like carved out of rock. He's so amazing. But it's not. But then when he monologues, I mean, I remember the first moment where I like truly had an emotional like holy shit moment of the show was episode six of season one, which is called Five O, which is the Mike episode, yep. which reveals mm-hmm. why he came to to New Mexico in the first place. With and his he son, ends the it monologue with that, about his yeah, son. Yeah, that monologue. Yep. He's like, they, I broke my boy. Like, it was astounding. And then, yeah, his performance, I mean, even when he's just the stoic parking attendant, he's just so captivating and fun to well, watch. And, and I think some of what makes his stillness so powerful is because you know what's inside of him and you know uh-huh, you know emotion, what he's yeah. felt. You've been watching this show and so you can see in his eyes, you know, when he can just do a little bit to let you in and to, you can see that pain that he's constantly feeling and like you really can get it and also uh-huh. his constant exasperation and you know he's he's a great counterbalance to Jimmy just because yeah. it's like the one guy is just all over the room and the other guy is a boulder just yeah. sitting there in the middle just emotionally and physically in that world. Although one of the one of the strongest parts of this show is that it'll sometimes just linger on people's faces whether it's Mike or whether at the mm-hmm. very end in the finale during the courtroom scene where it's cutting between Jimmy and Kim just looking at their faces and their facial yeah, expressions. Great editing. You can read I mean, yeah, so much emotion into every ass um so much emotion in every single part of that but yeah no Jonathan Banks's character is great and then yeah the show it, it winds up expanding into we get into Gus Fring who is another character on Breaking Bad who like gets his more backstory here he's only the only character really who doesn't actually transform whereas Jimmy and Mike we see them transform a lot over the course of the series Gus is just always kind of like which is Gus which fine, is fine, right? Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. fine. <laughs> I really like Gus's final scene, mm-hmm. that final yep. scene that's, at the restaurant. That's actually where he just, the one part where we see some character development. You sort of see this brief moment of him maybe being a normal person and then yeah. walking away from it, basically saying no, which is, yep. again, like a, it's a theme. It's thematically coherent with the show. It's so many people walking away from things that they were doing mm-hmm. and just that that whole sequence that that's the last we're going to see of the great Gus Spring of this guy who's been this like mighty terrifying unstoppable villain for so many years from Breaking Bad through now and his final scene is just this quiet conversation at a wine bar that he just walks away from is is amazing like it's that's incredible. a really cool decision but yeah mm-hmm. so the cartel aspects of the show are mostly told through Mike and Gus and Nacho and uh, for some of its run they were a little controversial it was a little bit like man we have this amazing lawyer show like do we really need all the gunshots and explosions 
explosions that don't yeah. really add a ton to the whole thing. There is some cool stuff. We get to see how Hector Salamanca winds up in a wheelchair, and that that's a cool a cool little bit. We get to see how Gus's super lab is is built and then not built, which is another interesting, just another interesting thing. Maddie, I'm curious. So you you didn't yeah, watch Breaking Bad? I mean, what I did you make of all that stuff? I really liked all of it. I mean, I didn't even know that the guy who's in a wheelchair is on Breaking Bad. I like figured yep. that out way later. <laughs> I think yep. like mm-hmm. after I was done he watching actually, this show, he, he, he kills Gus. Gus. <laughs> yeah, he finally gets Gus in the yeah, end. Yeah, because I was like googling Gus and stuff and being like, okay, I knew Gus was on Breaking Bad. I mean, the thing about Breaking Bad is that it's like it's hard to avoid a lot of the sure, spoilers yeah. and just because it's, it's all in memes. Phenomenon. So I know a lot of it, but I don't know what order it's in or anything about it. So I I just enjoyed Nacho's storyline as like this you know up and coming gangster, and I just I liked him a lot. Michael Mando really brings a lot of humanity to the role, and I'm always I was just always rooting for him as well. So I was just like, okay, this is an ensemble story. Like this is mm-hmm. this guy's story. So it didn't seem out of place to me. And I also like that scene where he's replacing the pills in the jacket like it's so freaking stressful and like that was just great storytelling and i just enjoyed the scene from a purely mechanical standpoint of like is this gonna work and then is he even gonna take the pills and then oh my god he didn't die like i didn't know he was going to survive and be in the wheelchair whereas you guys did i was like please let this guy die and then also is that (laughs) gonna help if he dies i don't know Mm -hmm. so that was all much more exciting for me because I didn't know what was going to happen. And most of the time, like there were a few characters where I was like, okay, like I know Giancarlo Esposito is in Breaking Bad. He's not going to die. But there were a lot of other characters where I was like, shrug, like anybody could Mm -hmm. die, I guess. And and that kind of changes why the show was entertaining for me. Uh, uh, Yeah, I could could see someone feeling a little alienated by some of the crime cartel violence stuff just because there are times... Um, sort of at the height of them, really, toward the later seasons, where it starts to kind of feel like a different show. Or it feels more like Breaking Bad, I guess. It's yeah. it's really intense in a, this is an intense crime violence story. Who's going to die? Who's yep. going to make it out? You know, there's a lot of that stuff, which, you know, we're describing the, the early seasons of Better Call Saul. It's, it is much more just about a relationship between two brothers and mm-hmm. sort of broad scamming and, and lying. Although it does open with Jimmy getting taken to the desert by two It does. It does. And him some... talking himself out of it. And but Nacho threatening him. Even the Nacho stuff, though, is more like character yeah, drama stuff as opposed to yes. big action scenes. I get what you're saying, Kirk. Like, like yeah. I'm describing him trying to replace the pills and it's like, yes, his life is on the line, but that that particular right. physical action shootout. isn't a huge shootout. Yeah. Well, and so, and I could see feeling that way about that shift because it is kind of a shift that happens. But I would say it's again, it's sort of you can see the creative changes that the show underwent as it as it went and as they figured out what kind of story they were telling. Because to me, I mean, I found those sequences just really exciting, and I like crime stories, and I like that kind of <laughs> yeah, shit, so too. I was into it. <laughs> yeah, but to me, to it also works because this story it is about the like inexorable collision between. Jimmy's world of low stakes scamming Mm -hmm. and this extremely dangerous, violent world that he gets caught up in and that eventually winds up with Walt like really being caught up in and in the middle of and like enabling all this horrible stuff and being present for all of these, you know, violent murders and whatever. Like that's going to happen and you're waiting for the moment when they finally collide. And I'd say that moment is when Lalo kills Howard. Like that that's kind of the moment when the two things collide and when you've it finally like shatters and you can't go back. And they were developed they were building toward that for many seasons and it really is very effective when you look at it that way. So really when Lalo shows up so talk about like 
like writing by the seat of your pants and not knowing what's coming next. So this all started, a lot of stuff all started with a throwaway line that you then, that was then revisited. So in the episode of Breaking Bad called Better Call Saul, when right. Saul is first introduced, he's kidnapped in the desert by Walt and Jesse. He's like, uh, it wasn't me. Ignacio did it. Like, did Lalo send you? And at first it was a throwaway line. And people watching Breaking Bad or, or Better, Call, Better Call Saul over the years were like, oh, here's Nacho. When are they going to introduce Lalo? Like, what's the deal mm-hmm. with Lalo? And the writers of Better Call Saul were always like, well, we don't know. Like, we'll figure it out. <laughs> we like, don't know who that no is. no idea, right? No <laughs> idea. Suddenly, Tony Dalton comes in as Lalo, the most charismatic, like, one of the top Terrifying. villains ever we've ever seen. Comes in, is a wrecking ball, is a force of nature. And then we're like, oh, Lalo, he's got to intersect with Jimmy in some way. And then he does, is in season five. But it's kind of like, hmm, like, Kim scaring him off. That cannot be the end of Jimmy <laughs> no, and Lalo's, like, intersection here. And yeah. then in season six, it's handled so brilliantly because not only does Lalo become responsible for like Kim and Jimmy breaking up and then Jimmy becoming better call Saul or becoming Saul <laughs> becoming better call Saul. I, I call him Saul that Goodman. too. <laughs> um, he also like becomes uh, sort of inadvertently responsible for Saul Goodman going on the path of enabling Walter White because in the episode of Better Call Saul called Breaking Bad, which is this incredible mirror mm-hmm. uh, showing a different point of view of a lot of the episodes of a lot of the this, um, sequences of that first episode, we see that like Saul was so shaken up um, and wasn't going to like do anything with Walter White until Jesse was like, why'd you mention Lalo? And that like, you can see that kind of set off this fuse in Jimmy's head where he is remembering the events of Lalo and Howard and Kim. And just like, Mm -hmm. again, being forced to like, like confront all of those emotions that he's trying to repress. And instead of actually confronting them, he goes the complete opposite direction and like goes straight to Walter White's school and sets off the course of events that happens in Breaking Bad where he, becomes the enabler of ultra right like it's all so intricately and incredibly tied together and like subtly and emotionally it's just man it's such a beautiful piece of storytelling i love it so much. yeah i don't i don't always like need to get the really intricate collect like clever tie-in but i do appreciate when a show does it and it's it's kind of a there's a tragic irony to it the way that there is on this show because also kim telling um jesse that Saul is, you know, the, what's the line? She says, he's yeah. like, is he a good guy? And she's like, when I knew him, he was. And so, of course, her recommending Saul to, to Jesse also does then lead yeah. know, lead lead to that. I mean, maybe, maybe not, right? Like, it's not yeah, so clear another, cut. A little more it's subtle, not like yeah. a Kaiser Sose thing exactly. It's Because he sort does of like, get Emilio, Jesse's buddy, off a hook. So that eventually, like, leads right. to in, right. in Breaking it's, Bad, there's a throwaway line about how Saul Gimmin, like got Emilio off twice or something like that. So, yeah, there's mm-hmm. a... A little bit of connection there. So, of course, we get to see Emilio. It's funny because this is the kind of thing that normally I hate, like in the Han Solo movie, when you find out why he has his name. Like, normally these kinds of things, I'm like, I don't That's a perfect example of the worst (laughs) version of this, yes. Yeah. And there's some, there was a risk. Like, a lot of people were worried, especially when Tuco Salamanca showed up in the first episode. There was a big worry that it's like, man, is this just going to be fan service? Um, I think it was handled pretty well, but there were definitely a couple of moments. Like, there's... uh, a point, I think in season five, when Hank and Gomez
cameras show up and I don't know if that was super necessary. Those are yeah. the um, DEA agents, Maddie, who are both oh, okay. in Breaking Bad. Sure. Right. Like I love Hank, but like, like right. yeah, do, do you really, really need, need to see him? Hank? And a couple other just random here and there things. But for the most part, it's handled well. Most of the kind of Breaking Bad cameos are on the cartel side of things, like the two um, the two twins uh, who Maddie and the twins rule so hard. Yeah, they're like, so good. Bring the twins back anytime. Yeah, I mean they're pretty iconic even on Better Call Saul. So that's and, like, fine. Crazy a- yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, they're they're yeah they're they're like, amazing on Breaking shows. Bad. Sure. <laughs> Maybe Breaking the Bad, greatest oh action God. sequence on Breaking Bad is when they die. Like, well, on Breaking Bad, just your introduction to them. The first thing you see on Breaking Bad, Maddie, you'll appreciate this. Is like so they they've been sent to kill Walter White essentially. So the first thing you see is this incredible cold open of the two of them like standing, <laughs> taking off their shoes, like crawling, like going towards this shrine, which is like this Morita shrine, like a shrine of death, and putting Walter White's picture on it. It's like the most <laughs> chilling thing it's incredible yeah. amazing they go out with I, I would say I think this is a Michelle McLaren episode it's like the greatest epi- the action sequence in all oh, of Breaking yeah. Bad I think is the parking lot with Hank it's like outrageously wild it's so good <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah god um, but yeah most of the cameos I think uh, are done well um, and mostly on the cartel side so you don't have to worry as much about it and there was actually it's so funny because they were apparently considering having Marie uh, who is Hank's wife, uh, show up as like a, a random technician because she was a nurse's technician or something. Mm. They were going to have her show up and like w- when I think maybe when Chuck was getting an MRI or something like that. But instead they didn't and they saved her and that turned out to be the most brilliant move they could have made because she comes in so effectively in the series finale. Um, and that's a really, really incredible one. And I don't know if you knew that, Maddie, that Marie was like this Breaking Bad core character. I figured it out. <laughs> There were a yeah. lot of there were a lot of things where I was like I understand from the context what's happening here, but it does mean that I don't have the emotional weight. I'm just like hearing yeah. the lines and being like I understand mm-hmm. exactly who this person is. But I you just... have the emotional weight for Jimmy. Right. Like well, all exactly, that really exactly. matters is like being able to recognize that Jimmy in that moment is like trying to win back Kim at yeah. any like even if it means sacrificing his own life and like finally letting finally confronting his emotions, finally letting his guard down, finally shedding the Saul Goodman of it all just Mm -hmm. like recognizing that is so cool and then what's really cool what I really love about that ending I love it so much God I love that ending it's great Um, what I really love about it is that it's like even though he's done this even though he's made this big redemptive gesture and like become Jimmy again you still see him smirk a little when everyone around him is well, like better call Saul better call Saul he still Saul. loves it yeah, yeah he still loves it he still loves it and you see him like he's the king of the prison and that's mm-hmm. kind of funny and like incredible and because like, he totally would be too yeah, right? like, he yeah. 100% and maybe that's be. what he deserves at the end of the day he deserves to be in prison but it's not like he was out there killing people so maybe he does deserve to be like alright he can be he can be the, the big man on campus <laughs> just well, like and doing penance for his crimes he defended all those people i mean that's he kind did. of the, the piece of it where it's like you can't help but like the guy i don't know exactly I mean, and like him pulling out the finger guns at yeah. the end oh my god so much you can read into that <laughs> and kim i don't know if you guys noticed but kim is has her hand in the sh- in like a gun gesture like just pointing down so i can tell you a little bit about that there's so the whole ending there's so much of the Compromise of them all, they're bo- them all, them both being compromised and being sort of their new selves and sort of their old selves. Uh-huh. Apparently, yep. um, Ray Seahorn said in an interview that they did a shot where she returns the finger guns to him, mm. and then I think it was Vince, it might have been Peter, one of them was like, 
this the, the decision in the end, maybe a bunch of people made the decision, was that it didn't work because it just felt too much like she was being like, okay, it's back on, like we're back uh, to scamming. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that wasn't what they were trying to say. But I love how, like you mentioned, there's he is this new person, or he's at least chosen to be Jimmy, and yet he can't escape being Saul, and he still kind of loves it. And how she has embraced this new life, but there's a little more. She's a little bit classic Kim. Um, they talk a lot about the ponytail and how yeah. like she couldn't show up with blonde hair and a ponytail at the end because but she she's has not the waves, though, a new person, right? Hair. But her hair is. It's not this like you know sort of mousy thing she was yeah. going for to per, to totally blend in mm-hmm. with the dirt. You know yeah. she's like a little bit more. Yeah, she stands out a little bit more. And then the last thing that I loved, and I'm sure everyone watching noticed this, but maybe some people didn't. There's a whole this whole color black and white you know, setup that they've got where things from the past are in color and things in the modern time are in black and white is used, I would say, really well. It's sort of an obvious thing, but it's cool. Like when he watches the old Better Call Saul trailer, it's in color because that's sort of what we're watching. And then we're to understand that everything we're seeing is a flashback and that's why it's in color. And the moment when they smoke the cigarette together, I would assume you both noticed this, that the cigarette, the flame and the ember are in color. Mm -hmm. And it's just... That's wonderful. Like that is it's, it's pretty on the nose. Like it's like this is the spark of their relationship. This was their first scene together. We mm. are the past and the future are happening at the same time and th- here it is. Like the ember is burning red. And I just thought that was awesome. I was like, I love this. I got it in the moment watching it. I was like that is fucking beautiful and it's great and I just thought it was really good. I, thought, I really don't think good. it was on the nose cuz it's kind of easy to miss. It's very yeah. small. It's, it's general. Just it's in like, terms of symbolism, it is like fairly They've done they've done more surface level. But that's Yeah, they've done more on the nose. Fine. It's exactly as surface level that's as it okay, should have been. Though. Sometimes yeah. Sometimes no, it's, it's okay perfect. though. Yeah. It's okay to Better than okay. It was perfect. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Perfect in every way. God, that that finale could not have been more perfect. It was just like just the right amount of like ambiguity and Definitive. It's wild how good it was. It's very rare that yeah. a show ends that well. I really didn't expect. Did either of you think that was how it was going to end? Because I was thinking I, I had he's no idea. Die. <laughs> I was so like dark I didn't think it. anyone was going to die. Like, gonna Everyone's going to die. <laughs> no, I was like, there's not going to be any deaths in the finale. Clearly, I, I just assumed that they were going full Greek tragedy with it. Like <laughs> no. hub- hubris wins. He needs to have his his ultimate. Can you fall. imagine that ending? Like, <laughs> I guess it's how Breaking Bad kind of. Ends. I mean, it's like, kind of it's like Jimmy uncut gems ends that way. I mean, like a lot of tragedies about this kind yeah. of person, this adrenaline adult person like end in this way and i think it's I kind, of, not this kind show, of awesome that, that this show is like no actually people can change like that's actually mm-hmm. pretty wild to say honestly i love it because it's the opposite message of breaking bad it's it's more of a hopeful show than yeah breaking bad. it's a pretty radical breaking message breaking bad is very much a dismal like pessimistic show bleak yeah. show like kirk mentioned this it's is like a you hopeful start show. out this a is... bad person and you become this worse. horrible guy destroys <laughs> yeah. everything around him and dies saying i won i mean that's breaking <laughs> well, bad breaking bad was very much Ugh. made so breaking bad was very much made in the spot uh, vince gilligan has said in interviews that that walter white will not exist would not exist without tony soprano that was very much made in the era of the yeah. time and the sopranos is very much a show about how david chase the creator and showrunner does believes that people can't change and people yes, will never it's like change. the fundamental the, thesis yeah, that is of the, the Sopranos. Sopranos. Yeah. And wow. Walter White is is very much the he is changing a lot, but he's changing for the worse. And it's like very much a cynical. <laughs> well, and show. there's an argument that he was that that was always there. Yeah, his sure, ambition, his greed, his jealousy. Right, yeah. right. He's just becoming more and more himself. And yeah. I think that right. over time, like looking back at Breaking Bad, 
uh, he's become worse and worse. And like you watch that again, I think a lot of people were able to root for him because he did so many badass things. But like sure. you look back or at they it now, just enjoyed and it's like the show, yeah. Well, no, but I think one of the reasons you enjoy the show is because this guy has this brilliant mind and you're watching him come right. up with these ways to get out of there are a lot of in Breaking Bad there are a lot of like near impossible situations where like Walter White is about to get caught and uses science in some crazy way to get out of it. Um, right. But but really, and I think Better Call Saul even highlights this by having him come back and be like the worst possible version of himself in that cell. Just, I love like, that like, scene. Shitting yeah. all such an asshole. Just, like, oh my God, being such a jerk. And it yeah. really highlights the contrast between him and Jimmy in, in so many ways. But like that, I think is like really saying that that scene alone is saying, hey, Breaking Bad was a show about like this guy being an asshole and suffering for it. This is a show about how people can redeem themselves and like like actually at the end do the right thing in some way, at least. Yeah, I mean, that's something I think I've seen that Vince Gilligan say that he was frustrated by with the reception of Breaking Bad is that he saw too many people just seeing Walt as being a like hero as being awesome and aspirational. Yeah. And this was a common issue with a lot of that like first era? golden age yep. anti-hero era yep. of TV Tony where people Soprano, would think Don that Don like Draper. Yeah. Don Draper was the classic example where everyone would talk about Don Draper. Oh man, it's so, so cool. cool. Yeah, it's cool how they like are alcoholics who sexually harass <laughs> like all the women constantly. who work for them. Like, yeah. And their lives are falling apart and they're all miserable and but dying. It, but like, they do have a cool highball glass, you know? Right, so it's kind of Great like suits. people kind of mix, miss what was really <laughs> happening on those shows because those shows were intended to be critiques of their protagonists but of course yeah, they also but they were so gorgeous right, they were gorgeous they were very attractive looking people very charismatic actors and like yeah. the, they still won sometimes and we were used to thinking of heroes as, as the good guys so it was a little harder to deal with yeah. and it is it is really cool how it's so much messier and more complicated to watch someone actually try to change yeah. and to see just how contradictory and impossible that is even though it's just moment to moment decisions with Jimmy, you know, it's like, well, who's he going to be this minute or that minute? Yeah. Yeah. What's he ultimately going to decide here? And that's what made the show so exciting uh, right to the end. Um, and then fundamentally, because it's a love story, it's that allows them to explore this and like he can redeem himself at the end because it's a love story and it's a story about him well, being right. in love with Kim and that, that wound ultimately up being the most important saved thing him. him. Yeah, that love and that like um, I think that the part of it also is that like Chuck, he can never win over, but like Kim, he was like, "This is it. I have to. I will do anything, even if it means throwing my the mm. rest of my life away to win her over." Finally, at the end, there, there's a lot to read into it there. Um, it reminded me a lot that and the finale of, of Better Call Saul reminded me actually of the finale of The Leftovers because uh, they're both shows about this kind of epic love story that goes where, where these two people uh, just have this kind of toxic relationship in some ways. And then years and years later, they finally find each other again and reunite in, in some way or another. That's a good comparison. And they both just leave a lot of room for interpretation and ambiguity. I think, like, I just love an ending that leaves me with questions that don't feel unsatisfying or frustrating, but are just questions that I can just ponder and talk about with yeah. people. And that, yeah. you know, it's like that is it's such great. a great yeah. way to end things rather than tying everything up and giving me this neat ending. Yeah. Um, I love that ambiguity. Like, I, you know, I was a different person then, but I did not talk about the ending of Breaking Bad the way that I am talking mm-hmm. about this ending. But you know what ending I did talk about in that way is the ending of The Sopranos. <laughs> talk about, <laughs> yes. you know, like that's another ending that left you with all these questions. Yeah, it's well, Breaking Bad, I mean, thing. Breaking Bad had a neat and tiny ending. Like, there wasn't room. You that's could be I mean. like, right. oh, were, what happened yes. to Jesse? Like, what happened to Saul? And mm-hmm. we find out 
the answers to both of those questions. But like for the most part, everything was wrapped up at the end, even all the way down to the last detail of like the rice and cigarette at the end. Um, yeah, the other thing about the leftovers that made me think about this comparison is that like Nora's entire personality is her trying to find ways to deal with grief and sometimes repressing it. And like it's really a show about dealing with grief. And so is Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul in a different way, but it's about this guy who like finds all these kind of bad ways like torture like mm-hmm. uh misguided ways to deal with his own grief and his own traumas and the leftovers i think is is very similar in that sense so what i'm getting here is that we should all rewatch the leftovers and mm. do a beans cast about the we leftovers <laughs> well we already did kirk we did a smiley cast a few years ago oh did we well what maybe i'll time? finally finish it i i watched a lot of it but god i never finished it i stopped watching at the episode with like the puppets in the kitchen. I don't know how to describe this nonsense. Oh, yeah, it's in season one. <laughs> season one can be kind of a season tough one. So We're yeah. not doing a leftovers oh. beans cast. Well, it's just, it's a good I mean, show. But, it's good. Yeah. No, it's great. I just was watching it like during COVID and I was like, why am I doing this? It's a tough <laughs> That especially tough could be an, an intense time. Season to watch one is a lot different. Season two is really when the show becomes. Yeah, like, I would like to finish it. So I'm, I'm, it's a, it is interested a, in going a back. fabulous. You should. Two and three. It's worth watching just for season two and three. It becomes something very different in season two than it is in season one. That's probably for the best. Season one is real downer. Mm -hmm. Season (laughs) one, yeah. all three seasons were that, it's three seasons, right? Well, and it's one of of those stories where the first season is an adaptation of a book, and then the second season they're able to go off book and come up with Mm -hmm. their own story, and they do really find a beautiful thing. And it becomes a very different story. Like, it becomes supernatural. Like, there's a lot of stuff to it that is very different than season also has that max richter music i always get emails from people being like dude you have to talk because i've talked a little bit about it on strong songs but just be like all i want to do is talk about that music and i agree it's really amazing music so one last thing about better call saul better call saul remember that yeah (laughs) one last thing about better call saul is that it really puts an end to the heisenberg universe which was in breaking Mm -hmm. bad which was the movie el camino and now better call saul we are not going to see those characters again probably for a long time if ever vince gilligan and peter gold have come out and been like we're we're not doing anymore we're doing something else now so it will be a while if we ever see more of these characters in some form and it's fascinating to me it's like the end of an era in some ways maddie doesn't affect you quite as much but uh it's really just a just a world that is so really unique um, the it's the MCU of like drug lords, and <laughs> <laughs> Albuquerque. Yeah. But what's great about it is that it's nothing like the MCU. No, uh, <laughs> yeah. just, if the MCU had like beautiful shots of like New Mexico, it had sorry, precisely just, one spinoff that was really uh-huh. different in tone. Right, that happened not yeah. exactly accidentally, but in a sort of methodical, accidental, in a very intentional. Manner. Okay, I guess way. it's kind of like it's kind of like how when Joey ended, the Friends universe really right. came to it. It's a lot like the it's, Friends. It's and much Joey more like Friends and Joey. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Or how oh when the God. Cleveland show came to an end, the Family uh-huh. Guy universe was just Frasier like, and Cheers. Yes, exactly. Okay, you know what? Yeah. I'll go with the Frasier one. I think there is actually a Frasier comparison. Because I am to be much made. more of a Frasier fan than yeah, a Cheers. Yeah, that, that one is a little so this stronger. I agree yeah. with. <laughs> yeah, there are. Yeah, there are Same. some spinoffs that are really. I think Better Call Saul. I mean, for me personally, it it way surpassed Breaking Bad. But I think there are some other spinoffs that have that have oh, surpassed yeah. their. Uh, well, you know, The Simpsons and the Tracy Ullman show. <laughs> <laughs> sure, <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> 
cool. I don't think that counts. Oh, man. All right. Any final thoughts before we say goodbye? Any final thoughts? Want to say farewell to Jimmy slash Saul slash Gene? Farewell, Jimmy. No, it was such a good show. Such a good show. And so fun to talk about. This was such a fun conversation just because I think of that thing we've said is that the show leaves you so much space to interpret it and talk about it. And that's mm-hmm. one of its greatest strengths. And yeah. Like, so what good. are what are Jimmy's motivations? Like, what's really going on in his head? Even though we see so much of him, we still don't really know. And that's right. what's mm-hmm. so cool about it. And it's mm-hmm. really, I mean, Bob Odenkirk is really, who would have thought that this, like, like comedian from <laughs> Mr. Show would I turn know. into, like, one of the best dramatic actors of our generation. Like, it's it's really, really it's incredible true. to watch. Him and Will Arnett, it really is, yeah. like, these these comedians who can do this incredible dramatic work. It's always fun to see yes. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Will Arnett and BoJack you're talking about? Is that yeah. what yep. you're referring to? Yeah, yeah, BoJack is another another interesting show that we should do a beans cast on one day anyway (laughs) better call Saul Uh, hope you all enjoyed it hope you all enjoyed the show and thank you again for supporting our show so we can keep making spinoffs about how we've all turned into Jason Trier (laughs) Kirk Hamilton and Maddie Myers (laughs) how we turned into Triple Click the spinoff how did we become this give the origin story we'll find out alright see you guys soon yep see you next time bye Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network. And if you're listening to this bonus episode, it means you're already a member. So thank you. We really appreciate your support. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. Until Jason's done drinking his water. Okay. Oh, you got a water. You got a water thing that like has a has a little sipper instead of your giant goblet. Wow, <laughs> that's true. Cool. It's a significant upgrade. Um, how are you liking it? No spilling worries for me. Yeah, that's true. You won't spill water. That it's is, a good. It's a good water bottle. It looks good. Yeah, it looks it looks solid. You got a, you got good hydration in there. Okay, here we go.